Lonnie and Kay were high school sweethearts. But over time, the never-ending conflict and their loss of love threatened to tear their marriage apart. When we filled out our forms with Focus on the Family, they asked us if we believed in a miracle, if we were willing to allow a miracle to happen. And, you know, with all my heart, that's what I wanted. Lonnie and Kay attended Hope Restored, where Focus counselors help heal and restore broken relationships, giving husbands and wives godly hope for the future. I guess what I'd say is I cherish her now more than I did before, and I, and I have a way that I can communicate to her that I did not have before, and Focus on the Family has given me that ability. I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can save more families like Kay and Lonnie's every month. Become a friend to Focus on the Family by calling 800-A-FAMILY or donate at focusonthefamily.com family. Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Part of the art of being a wife with your particular husband is what does it look like to have those two things in balance so that my husband knows I'm on his team, that I believe in him, but I'm also not afraid to step up and offer needed counsel, insight, and accountability. That's Dr. Julie Slattery describing a woman's unique role in marriage. And today, she'll empower wives and describe how you can use your strength to build a more fulfilling marriage. This is Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I think just about every couple enters marriage with wonderful expectations. It's going to be bliss. This is awesome. We're always going to be infatuated with each other. But it's normal not to feel warm and close to your spouse 24-7. At some point, that infatuation wears off. When you start to notice perhaps the flaws in the other person, and uh, you're going, okay, maybe even saying to yourself, did I marry the wrong person? Hmm. If you've felt this kind of disillusionment with your marriage, uh, today is going to be for you. And next time, too, we have a wonderful guest who knows Focus well. She used to work here at Focus mm -hmm. and be a co-host of the program. And she will offer that encouragement for those uh, marriages that are facing that disappointment and disillusionment. Yeah, and we're speaking uh, to women primarily, but men, I'm going to encourage you to listen in because there are some really great takeaways here uh, for you to have conversation about with your wife. Uh, Dr. Julie Slattery is a clinical psychologist, is uh, president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy, which is a ministry uh, devoted to teaching God's design for sexuality, and she also hosts a podcast called Java with Julie. I think you started that back here in the Springs a long time ago, Julie. Yeah. Uh, she's written an updated version of her book, which has helped countless marriages. It's called Finding the Hero in Your Husband, Revisited, Embracing Your Power in Marriage. Contact us to get a copy of that book for yourself or someone uh, in your sphere of influence. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Julie, welcome back to Focus. It's so good to see you. So good to see you guys. Always good to be here. It's, um, you're doing great. Uh, you are tackling an area of the proverbial garden that a lot of people don't want to go to, and that's how to strengthen marriages, help marriages, develop better emotional and physical intimacy in marriages. Uh, what drove you to that part of the garden? Mm, well, I know it's cliche to say, but it really was God. Uh, it was really something that he put on my heart. And I 
just saw so much brokenness that I felt like we didn't quite know how to handle in the church, um, particularly around sexuality. So, um, yeah. yeah, so... It's good. When you look at the original book, Finding the Hero and Your Husband, which was written over 20 years ago now, yeah. which I it's amazing, isn't it? Amazing it is. how time flies. Yes. Um, it's probably more desperately needed today than it was then. That's probably true, yeah. What uh, have you seen in the last 20 years? Whew, uh, a lot of change, certainly a lot of change in our culture with uh, technology and the smartphone and the challenges of that with pornography and just being distracted, not knowing how to build intimacy, confusion around sexual issues, what is intimacy, what is healthy sexuality. And then I think also we've seen a lot of change just in the empowerment of women. And that's been a very, very good thing uh, in many spheres but I think it's also made intimacy and marriage more confusing. Mm, um, yeah. As women are getting a voice and getting stronger, I think a lot of times we're seeing men kind of get in the shadows now. Of right, we pull where, back. Yeah, where's our voice? And so that pendulum has kind of swung, I'd say, over the last 20 years of the typical marriage. Yeah. In the setup, we talked about those women who are feeling disillusionment or mm-hmm. maybe they married the wrong person, et cetera. Uh, let's go right there so that we can answer that question. When those feelings of bliss uh, fade, um, what's going on there and what do women need to keep their eye on to ensure they don't lose the flame. Mm. You know, I think almost every woman who is married or has been married will identify with those first few years of just, man, this is harder than I thought it would be, and it's not getting better. I'm starting to feel hopeless. I think probably 20 years ago when I wrote the first version of this book, most couples would stay with it uh, and try to work things out for a decade or so before giving up. But now we're seeing... Even in Christian marriages, uh, Mm. people just give up pretty quickly when they hit that wall. You speak in the book to uh, women to encourage them to respond with that kind of disappointment by choosing to believe in their husband. Okay, that's like a 180, right? I'm not (laughs) feeling close to him. He's really disappointing me. And then you say, turn toward him and move toward him. You can't (laughs) do that uh, easily. Mm -hmm. So how does a woman do that? How does she be so frustrated with him? And then you're telling me to turn toward him? Julie, you don't know my husband. Yeah, I don't know your husband. Uh, Yeah, so I think part of it is recognizing that disappointment is part of building intimacy. And I think most women, when they experience that barrier to intimacy, like they feel like they can't connect, they feel like, wow, we're really going backwards, this isn't going to work. But actually to build an intimate relationship, you have to get through the disappointment because otherwise you're just loving each other based on sort of a selfishness of what you're doing for me. But when you get disappointed, when it actually costs you something to love and to reach towards that other person is when you start putting true bricks in the wall huh. of intimacy. And I know that both of you have experienced that. You've, We've all three been married for several decades now, and, and you can probably look back on those oh, early... Yeah circumstance, like if you would have given up then, you wouldn't have pushed towards what is it really to understand my spouse? And what does it mean to be vulnerable enough for my husband or wife to really understand me? I was going to relate this to just the Christian walk, you know, because Mm -hmm. the right question for us as Christians particularly is to say, God, what do you have for us in this? What do you want from me in this marriage that seems desperate? Mm -hmm. And that's hard. 
It is hard. Yeah. One way I like to think of it is you really don't know if you love your spouse until you don't feel in love anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because now you have a choice. Will I move towards him in love? Will I invest in this marriage? You also don't, as you're saying, Jim, you don't really know you have faith until you don't feel anymore. Mm-hmm. Because faith is walking towards something that you believe to be true, even when it doesn't feel true. Boy, and how applicable that is for our marriages today. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just our relationship in Christ, but for our spouse, yeah. that we need that attitude. Describe what you mean by relational power in marriage mm-hmm. and how can wives use their influence to build intimacy, even if they don't have the energy for it. Yeah. So when you said a few minutes ago, what does it look like to move towards your husband Really, one of the ways of understanding that is to get this concept of relational power and how am I using my relational power. So every relationship has power dynamics within it. And if I'm in relationship with my husband, my power comes in what he needs from me. Like a lot of times we think our power is in what we need, but actually the power comes in what the other person needs. So let me just use a non-marriage example. Let's say I have this rare illness And it's an illness that could take my life. But you, Jim Daly, are the only one that has the antidote for that illness. You now have great power. You can demand any Mm. kind of money that you want. You can say, Julie, I'll give you this medicine, but you have to run around the building 20 times and I do it. You have power now because you have something that I need and you exclusively can meet that need. Well, in marriage, God has designed it so that a man has needs that the wife is intended to meet exclusively. And a woman has needs that a husband is meant to meet exclusively. And so that gives one another relational power. Right. And so for a woman to understand, like, what is it to move towards my husband? She really has to understand my power comes in what my husband really needs. In the book, you mentioned three needs for men and two needs for women. Because you guys, are, are was, way, you guys are way needier than we are. I was going to say that, that but you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, but it is funny, and I could see that. But what yeah. are the three needs that men have? Yeah. Um, well, the first one, I'm going to warn you, for a lot of women, this is a very triggering word today. But men need respect. And it's a triggering word, I think, in today's culture because women have heard this and they don't really know what it means. They just have heard it as a biblical teaching that isn't really connected with understanding the heart of their husband. And so one of the things I like to do is really explain to women what that actually means that your husband needs respect. Uh, and part of it. What does that sound okay. like when you explain it to what women? It I'm like? on the edge of my seat. All right, seat. here you go. And, you, and you, you two men can correct me where I'm off on this one. No, but... I think we're going to pat you on the back, but go ahead. <laughs> well, part of what I think women need to understand is that men have a different relationship with competence than women do. Uh, like the heart of a man is always wrestling with this question, am I good enough? Yeah. Uh, am I going to fail? Am I going to be found out as an imposter? Uh it, do I do enough as a husband, as a boss, as in my work? They're always afraid of I might fail. I might, you know, try something. It's so true. So I think understanding that need for respect in marriage is a woman saying to her husband consistently, "I know the worst about you, but I believe in you." Mm. Like I, and that's why I named the book "Finding the Hero in Your Husband" because at some level, every guy is waking up really asking the question, am I her hero? Yeah, Julie, I want to, before we move to number two, I really want to dig into this a little bit because I can hear a woman saying, hey, 
You don't know my husband. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to respect about him. He doesn't lead in the home. He doesn't lead with the kids spiritually. I'm the one always having to say, honey, come on, yeah. do something spiritual for the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get over that brick wall? I'm not going to call it a speed bump because that then sets the attitude of the wife's heart that now you're up against, you're against your husband yeah. because he's filling the blank, lazy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how does a woman overcome that? observation yeah. that's mm-hmm. real and then try to suggest oh honey you're worthless but i still love you mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah well first of all it's similar to what we might say to a husband when we would encourage them hey love your wife even when she's unlovable to you choose to love her mm. you know choose to treat her with value and with kindness and respect is not a feeling it's a choice it's a posture these are all choices Right. And so it's not, I don't feel respect for my husband today, therefore I can't respect him. It's, no, I choose to have a posture of my heart that is looking for the best. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hi, I'm Jim Daly. The Supreme Court will soon make a significant decision on abortion. How will this impact you? Join me and other pro-life champions, including Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, on June 14th for Focus on the Family's Sea Life 2022 live stream. Find out how you can respond to this important pro-life moment. Sign up at focusonthefamily.com slash life. That's focusonthefamily.com slash life. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, Julia, let's move to number two. So we have respect. What's the second thing husbands need? Yeah, the second thing, and women are going to say amen to this one, they need help. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big definition. I mean, what do you mean? A little more specifically. We've been lost for an hour. I don't need your help. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Even when we look at creation, uh, we look at that God created the man, and then he said, you know what? This guy's not good alone. (laughs) He needs help. Uh, He can't do this by himself. So I'm going to create for him this help me. And again, sometimes women hear that and they hear that as, am I less than? I'm a helper to my husband. But when we actually look at that Hebrew word, it's the word ezer, which is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is a help to us. And so we see in the scripture that God created man and women to be a complement to each other, that women were created, particularly within the relationship of marriage, to be that teammate. And that help can look like lending her gifts and her strengths and her insight, but it can also look like accountability. In oh, help. yeah, it can look like yeah. that. I'm sure it has before. <laughs> well, and you know, the interesting thing about that, I think after 35 years of being married, Jean and I, yeah. I've really come to that conclusion. She has made me such a better man. Mm-hmm. And I just wish I would have realized that year one or two and not fought that. Yeah. You know, that what you're saying there, that guide, 
Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, men can be dumb sometimes, and we can do things that turn us into spiritual dead ends, right? Mm-hmm. But our wives are there to help us, and they have a keen insight, typically, yeah. to point us in a better direction. But we don't Amen. always listen. Yeah. And, and that's because there is probably a better way to offer some help to your well, husband, right? Well, that's true. Right? Yeah, that's so here's the trick. I think of these two needs of respect and help as like two wings of an airplane, and they have to be balanced. And most of us as women will emphasize one to the expense of the other. So you've got the woman who is only hearing the respect need and always encouraging her husband, but not holding him accountable, not setting boundaries, not using her voice. And that's a destructive marriage. But on the other hand, you have women who only want to help. They're always offering advice and they sound (laughs) critical and they really, and they really haven't proven themselves to be trustworthy to their husband in terms of yeah, she's on my team. Like I can hear this because I know she's got my back. She's not being critical. And so part of the art of being a wife with your particular husband is what does it look like to have those two things in balance so that my husband knows I'm on his team, that I believe in him, but I'm also not afraid to step up and offer needed counsel, insight, and accountability. Yeah. Julie, in that regard, again, I'm thinking of the woman that she's been on that path. Mm -hmm. These are hard um, emotions and disciplines to pull up out of. You're like in a rut. Yeah. So how, how does a woman say, okay, I've been pounding my head. I'm hearing what Julie's saying. How do I get off that highway of criticalness mm-hmm. and onto a better path. I, I mean, you can understand it intellectually, yeah. but doing it is another thing. It is. You know, it starts with how we change anything, which is really confession. You know, confession to God, confession to one another. I remember this one time I was speaking on this concept, finding the hero in your husband, and I was in this room of maybe 300 women. And you know, as a speaker, you're watching your audience, and there was this one woman that had her arms crossed, and she just seemed to be glaring at me. That means not a good thing. Yes. <laughs> and then she got up in the middle of the talk. She was near the front, walked out, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I lost, I lost that one. And then after uh, the talk was over, she came and found me in the lobby, and she said, I'm so sorry I had to get up and leave, but I was so convicted that I just had to get up hmm. and call my husband. Hmm. And just, I just cried. Like, I don't just realize I have been tearing you down for the last 15 years of our marriage. And I don't want to do that anymore. Wow. And it begins with that. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect going forward. But the intention of your heart is, God, you've given me a good man. And all I seem to be able to do is criticize him. I want to change that. Well, that realization you're saying is the first step out of the rut. Mm -hmm. Julie, those are the two. There's a third need that men have. And of course, Mm -hmm. yes, men have more needs than women. That's pretty (laughs) funny. And I want to get to the women's needs before we end today and then come back next time and drill in a little bit on all of this. So what's that third need that men have? Yeah, it's interesting. When I first wrote this book 20 years ago, I defined the third need as physical intimacy that men have that strong need that needs to be met. But I totally rewrote that um, this time around because I've learned so much about uh, intimacy in marriage, about the sexuality in marriage. And now I'm phrasing it as the need is actually that a husband 
desires for his wife to share the sexual journey with him. Mm. And that's very different than just meeting a physical need. Uh, it's being in it with him in terms of whatever struggles he might have, what is physical intimacy actually mean to him in marriage. Right. So it's far more complicated than just meeting a physical And when need. you say it that way, it does connect to at least number two, uh, you know, that your husband needs your help. Mm-hmm. This might be one of the strongest areas that your husband needs your help. And uh, we'll dig in more uh, next time on this. But uh, let's go to women now. What is, you know, what's the first of the two that women need? Yeah, you guys should know this. You've been married for a long time, Yeah, well, right? you wrote the book, so <laughs> yeah. we'll give you our perspective. Right. You go first. Yes, uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, so what women really need, their first primary need is this need to be valued, to be cherished by their husband. So as a husband is waking up every day saying, am I her hero? She's waking up every day saying, does he still love me? Am mm. I still the one he chooses? And uh, that's why women can be so sensitive to a husband who's working 80 hours a week or who's golfing all the time or who is distracted by their smartphone. It's like he's not choosing me. Hmm. That's interesting because I was going to ask that. What is (laughs) – maybe you're giving us too much credit for being married so long and understanding these things. (laughs) But, you know, what are those things that communicate being cherished Mm -hmm. to a woman? Because, you know, sometimes for men, you got to grab us by – our face, yeah. look us in the eyes and say, honey, I need this. Yes. Yeah. So it's one of those moments. Yeah. First of all, you have to know your wife and not every woman is the same in how she experiences, how she feels loved. Like Dr. Gary Chapman's five love language is a great starting place. But for some women, it really is that quality time huh. that I choose to be with you. Some women really need to hear the words. They, affirmation, yeah, words of affirmation. Yeah, if you that's write, a gene. If you write her a card and yeah. just really express how you're feeling and why you love her so much and what you love about her, like that's going to be it. Uh, it can be gifts. It can be acts of service. Uh, so you need to understand for your wife what it is. Like I remember early on in our marriage, Mike would bring me flowers. And I'm like, thanks, hon, but I don't really like getting flowers. Like that's not <laughs> my thing. Uh <laughs> And then he he's learned, trying. Yes, like I never. It took me a long time before I told him that that <laughs> I appreciate the gesture, but it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Like when he brings me my favorite coffee, that means a lot more to me. Wow. Yeah. But the movies so, aren't full of guys bringing the coffee to the girl. It's always flowers. Yeah, <laughs> that's why you have to study your wife. Yeah. No, yeah. that's good. What's the second aspect of a woman uh, a woman's need? Yeah. Well, he, this one I'm going to get a little pushback on. Because it's not very culturally uh, consistent today. But I really believe that in intimate relationships, a woman needs protection. And when I say that, I mean women are capable of doing so much, of providing for ourselves, of making decisions for ourselves. The mantra kind of goes, you don't need a man. You can do whatever you need to do yourself. And women can be so independent but in order for a woman to flourish in marriage, she really needs her husband to step up and to step in the gap, whether that can look like providing financially, uh, whether that looks like even physical protection, uh, not using his strength, maybe his louder voice to be intimidating, but instead to be protecting, uh, to protect her emotionally. Like I remember one of the things that helped me really fall in love with my husband we were dating, 
And he said to me, this, he asked me this really weird question. He said, Julie, I want to know what hurts you. And I thought, well, that's weird. What do you mean? And he said, what would I do that would really hurt your feelings emotionally? Huh. And I just kind of looked at him strange. And he said, I'm asking you this because I never want to do that. Huh. And he was expressing in his heart that he wanted to protect my heart. And so when women are unhappy in marriage, sometimes it's because, as you said earlier, even Jim, he's not leading, he's not standing in the gap. Like, I feel like I have to carry the whole burden of the disciplining of the kids or earning all the money, and he's not stepping up. And so that is a core need that women have in intimate relationships. And again, I don't think we talk about it enough because it's so countercultural. With the last few minutes, let's cover a couple other concepts. Uh, You call it the cycle of intimacy. Um, Give us an example of how this cycle of intimacy looked in your marriage. Oh, wow. Well, intimacy happens when both a husband and wife are using their relational power to meet each other's needs instead of withholding and things like that. So I feel like Mike and I are in a cycle of intimacy right now, and we are empty nesters, and he's just like, honey, how can I help you, whether it's getting my coffee or um, just supporting what I'm doing in terms of speaking, and then you know, I'm respecting him and just speaking life into him and loving him well, and Mm. it's just, it's a good thing. And that cycle of intimacy it doesn't happen overnight. You have a momentum going. And I think every marriage can say, we've we've been on this good momentum for years or months, but unfortunately there's another cycle that we can get on and that has momentum too, where everything's going great and then all of a sudden we we get in a stage of life, maybe because of an outside stressor or one of us hurts the other one, where all of a sudden now I'm withholding. Like, I don't want to speak life into my husband. I don't want to say uh, encouraging things to him. I don't want to help him with my gifts. I want to be like, hey, you can do this on your own, buddy. Like It's kind I'm, of like back to the compete right. versus complete. Yes, and then yeah. the husband reacts by, man, I don't like being with you, so I'm not going to spend time with you. And I'm going to go play golf. Yes, or, or even <laughs> yeah. even more nefariously, you know, like I'm – both husband and wife become tempted by other people who will meet those needs. Yeah. Julie, this has been so good. We're right at the end. We have squeezed a lot of content into this discussion, but we haven't covered it all. So I want to come back tomorrow and continue our talk, probably go a little deeper on the intimacy issue and other things. So, uh, man, let me turn to the listener. If you are living in this space that we're talking about, which I would guess 99% of people are. Um, get a copy of Julie's book. It is a wonderful resource, and we will make the book available to you for a donation of any amount. If you can join us as a monthly sustainer, that is great. It helps us to plan our budget, and we will send you a copy of Julie's book for that kind of commitment. But a one-time gift is good, too, so we'll send you the book to say thank you if you can help us uh, do ministry together with that one-time gift. Either way, uh, we want you to get this book and to apply it to your life. If you can't afford it, I'll trust others are going to cover the cost of that and we'll provide that ministry to you. So get in touch with us. Don't be embarrassed. Yeah, and uh, donate as you can and request Julie's book, Finding the Hero in Your Husband, Revisited, Embracing Your Power in Marriage. And uh, we're here for you at Focus on the Family. If you're feeling stuck in your marriage, 
Please know that we have caring Christian counselors who can listen to your story and then point you to helpful resources and maybe even a counselor in your area. Schedule a free consultation with one of those counselors when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family. And of course, you can donate when you call that number as well, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast for all the details. Uh, Julie, thanks so much. Let's come back and keep the discussion going. I look forward to it. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Soon, the Supreme Court will make its historic decision on abortion in the Dobbs versus Jackson case, one that could overturn Roe v. Wade. What will the verdict mean, and how should we respond as emotions run high? As Christians, we need to be ready, and Focus on the Family can help you prepare. Starting May 2nd, we'll share inspiring stories from people who face their own pro-life moments and experience God's love. To learn more, go to FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Seize Your Moment. As modern Christians, we want the fruit of a good marriage. We want our husband to love us well. We want him to help with the kids. We want, we want to be good wives that encourage him. That's fruit. The root is, what is God doing in my heart? And do I really trust that God is good? That's Dr. Julie Slattery offering encouragement to any wife who has faced disappointment in marriage. And uh, she's with us again today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, last time we started an insightful uh, conversation, and primarily we were addressing wives and their relationship with husbands and the husband's needs. But we did get the last two needs of wives in at the uh, bottom of the program. So if you missed it, go back and uh, get a download. Get the download on your smartphone. You mm-hmm. can get the Focus app that way or contact us and we'll figure out a way that you can get it. That's the point. It was really good and I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Uh, men that are listening, stick with us. Although we're addressing a lot of this content toward wives and how they treat their husbands, there is a lot in here too for a man and how to treat your wife. So this is for everybody, equal opportunity instruction. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I learned some things yesterday that I need to do differently to help my relationship with Gene. And after 35 years, that's a good thing. There's always room for a refresher course. And I really appreciate what Julie uh, had to share. And I think a lot of help here for both wives and husbands. Definitely. Yeah. And Dr. Julie Slattery is um, a clinical psychologist. She is president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy, which is a ministry to teach God's design for sexuality and is part of that ministry. She hosts a podcast called Java with Julie. And uh, Jim, she you mentioned this last time, Dr. Slattery was actually in the studio here with us for a she number was of years. Yeah. So it's always great to have her back. And uh, we're going to be talking more about the content in a book that she's recently revised. It's called Finding the Hero in Your Husband Revisited, Embracing Your Power in Marriage. And you can learn more about that book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800, the letter A in the word family. And let me also mention that we're going to have content today that isn't going to be appropriate for younger listeners. So please, uh, parents, just be aware of that. Julie, welcome back. 
Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so good. You are hitting, at least from my perspective, you're hitting uh, so many great points for a marriage to be so much better. If you're a seven, this will get you to 10. If you're a three, this will get you to an eight, I think, at least. And I love that. I, I love when you use those examples of your audience, primarily women, mm-hmm. and the aha effect that you see. So doing things differently and turning toward God's word to look for those answers uh, really is the right way to go. So I'm looking forward to what we're going to talk about today, and welcome back. Thank you. Um, let's get right into it. Submission. Woo, there's mm, a word. That's getting wow, right that into is it. Getting into let's it. jump <laughs> into the deep end of the pool. Yes. So when it comes to submission, uh, I can't think of a word that stirs up more energy yep. and more negativity <laughs> than that one. But the Bible does use that word. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Well, I think, first of all, we have to address why it's stirring up so much negativity. And, um, you know, there are a lot of women that as soon as they hear that word, they're like, they want to throw their smartphone across the room or turn off the radio. I think it conjures up weakness. And for that, women, wait a minute, I'm no weak woman. But, you know, what is it hitting? What nerve is it hitting? Well, it conjures up, like you said, the idea that maybe God wants us to be weak or less than, but I think in today's day and age, we hear so many stories of women that are in abusive marriages mm. and have stayed in that situation because of a wrong understanding of submission. Right. Uh, we're in the middle of the Me Too and the Church Too movement. Oh, and men abuse this terribly. Yes, yeah. So there, there's a good so reason it, for women to it, be upset with it. It's been abused in the church, it's been abused in the Christian home. And so I think we're in an era today where it's become so painful for many women that they just want to discount that altogether. Like, let's just take a big red pen and cross that out in the Bible or describe why it doesn't apply to today's marriage. But it does. You know, it's not primarily because Paul wrote this in a couple of his letters. It's because marriage is a revelation. It was created to be a human relationship that reveals the nature of how God loves his people. Mm. And so when Paul does teach on this in the scripture, he's saying in marriage, you're creating something in your relationship that points to Christ's relationship with the church. And so the way a man loves his wife and lays his life down for her, the way a woman responds to her husband it's not just about your marriage. You're painting a picture of what how Christ loves his people. Mm. And so we can't so easily just dismiss it, but we do also have to wrestle with how it's been misused and harmed women. You had a really kind of funny and lighthearted story about you and Mike taking a trip in Colorado that alludes to this thing of submission. What yeah. happened? Yeah. So uh, we were driving out to the mountains, and you guys know this drive well because you live in Colorado, but... Uh, I usually drive when we drive in the mountains because I get car sick if I don't drive. So there's this long stretch of highway, and it's two lanes, and there's nobody usually on it. Highway so, 24. Yes, this you is know on it. the other side of Wilkerson <laughs> you know Pass. I yeah. don't know that. Yes. And so you may feel the same way as my husband. He's like, this is time where you can go a little faster and make up some lost time. And so Absolutely. He, yeah, so I was already going a little over the speed limit, but he's like, come on, Jules, you can do more than that. Like. <laughs> You can go a little faster. Mike. So, yeah. So I start going faster. And wouldn't you know it, we pass a police officer. And 
we see the lights and I'm like, I was so mad at him. I'm like, this is your fault. Like you were telling me to go faster. And he's like, I know, I know I'll take care of it. You just be quiet. I'll, you know, I'll, he's, I mean, he meant it like, you don't have I'll, to say, I'll you he don't was going to say protect anything. You. I will take responsibility. Yes. This is my fault. I'll get the so ticket. He knew I was pretty upset. So yeah. So the police officer comes to the window, says, uh, do you know how fast you were going? And my husband immediately says, I just want you to know it's my fault. I was telling her to go fast. And the officer says, so should I write you the ticket? And Mike was like, yeah, if you need to, I'll take it. So uh, the police Mm. officer goes back to his cruiser, and we're waiting in the tension. And I'm looking at my husband like, this is your (laughs) fault. And and he's like, I'm sorry, you're right. And so about five minutes later, the officer comes back, and he says to me, ma'am, I'm not going to write you a ticket, but I'm going to give you a piece of advice Next time, don't listen to your husband. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Probably the best lesson he ever it taught. Was. You know, you know, and that is a fun story. But I do think it shows that there are times where women should not listen to their husbands. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are times where husbands are taking the relationship or the family or just making decisions that are ungodly or unwise. And if a woman thinks submission means always just going along with things, she's not understanding what God is actually calling her to do. Yeah. I I wonder um, in that healthy biblical context, give us examples where that works, where there's tension and or there's a need for resolution. Yeah. What is a healthy expression rather than us just talking about the negative side of yeah. that? What does a healthy challenge look like? Yeah. A really good question, Jim. Yeah. I think what we have to understand is submission is an attitude of the heart. When we look at Peter's letter um, to the church, he talks to wives about having a quiet and submissive spirit. And then he uses the example of, do you know the biblical woman he uses the example of in that passage? Uh, Doesn't come to me right now. Okay, all right. It's Sarah. Okay, yeah. So he says, be like Sarah and don't give in to fear. Now, if we look at the story of Sarah and Abraham, was Sarah a quiet woman? Doesn't seem so. No, she was. She had. <laughs> she, she had. She could uh, not contain. Opinion. No, yes. she had lots of opinions. But here, Peter is saying she had a quiet and submissive spirit, hmm. and so submission is about your spirit. It's not about whether your mouth is moving. It's the attitude of I'm not going to take you down with my words. I'm going to build you up with them, even if they're constructive words of criticism. Uh. And the other thing Peter says is don't give way to fear. Uh, When women don't have the right spirit in marriage, they're giving way to fear in one way or the other. Either they're afraid to use their voice and they become weak, or they give way to fear by being manipulative, controlling, dominant. And so submission is really how do I use my power in a way that's not reacting with fear. Yeah. And there's all sorts of applications to this. For example, let's say a woman needs to confront her husband's pornography use. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way of being fearful is I'm not going to confront it because they'll get mad. Another way of being fearful is yelling, being demanding. Uh, you get this taken care of right now. That's not an inviting intimacy. So she would approach this where, first of all, bathing in prayer but honey, there's something very important that I need to talk to you about. I'm aware of your pornography use, and it offends me. I believe it, believe it offends God because it's not his design. And 
this is true in a lot of situations. I know that this is something that started when you were a teenager or younger, and I know it's a battle, and I'll be with you in that battle, mm. but I'm not okay with this going unaddressed. Wow, that is powerful. You know, because I my guess would be that a man's greatest fear is that if this is exposed, I lose her. Right. It's rather shame. Rather than fighting through mm-hmm. it. Right. And we talked about, we've had some broadcasts that have addressed that. And if the, that's where you're at, definitely go mm-hmm. uh, to Focus on the Family's website or contact us to help find a way to work through that and get to a better place. Uh, Julie, let's turn toward the physical intimacy and ask some questions in this area. A lot of people get uncomfortable with this. I get it. Um, If you're thinking, Jim, why are you covering the subject? It's because we need to. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have left this to the world to define and to uh, give proportionality to. But this is a biblical principle, the idea that God gave us the gift of sexual intimacy in marriage as his gift to us. And we need to reclaim that and teach our children about it. So in that context, um, you describe how you grappled with this intimacy issue early in your marriage. How did you deal with that? What were the frustrations you were feeling? Mm, I did, probably didn't deal with it very well early in my marriage. <laughs> uh, the frustrations I had, you know, partially was, uh, in all candidness, it wasn't enjoyable for me. And a lot of women experience that in marriage where they're like, well, I guess this is a gift for the husband, but not for me. And I think uh, the traditional way of approaching that situation is sort of the way that I approached it was, I guess it's my duty as a wife to meet my husband's needs. And that wasn't necessarily a bad attitude to have, to want to have a servant attitude about sexuality. But I will say that it keeps a couple and it kept us from the fullness of what God designed sex to be in marriage. Can I ask you in that regard, what do you think with the women that you counsel, how many women have that perspective? You know, Mm. it's not enjoyable for me. I do it out of obligation. I think think it's pretty high. I think it's probably around 60% or more. Yeah. Uh And that that makes it something important to talk about. What did you learn uh, over, you know, the years with you and Mike? I mean, how did you, and, you know, you're a psychologist. So how did you apply all this to say? Oh, my goodness. It took me way too long to learn, No, and that's okay. But, (laughs) um, you know, for that younger wife who's right where you were, what are the one, two, three things you would say, think of it differently? Or Mm. how do you get out of that obligation feeling? Well, I would talk to the husband, too because I think that the teaching has been misguided to the husband. Ah, that's good. Uh, When we talk about sex uh, and sexual restraint for singles, we have no problem saying God wants you to use self-control. He wants you to value him more than you value getting your own needs met. And for some reason, we feel like once we get married, we shouldn't ever have to use self-denial or self-control related to our sexuality. And I think the teaching traditionally has been to men, once you get married, you should get all of your needs met sexually in marriage. And now your wife is obligated to do that. And that has hurt so many marriages, hurt so many women, because women have felt like even if for 30 years I never get any pleasure out of this, God wants me to keep giving my body over and over again. And for women that have had sexual trauma, they can feel re-traumatized. They can feel like uh, they're just objects to their husband. 
They're not being loved and nurtured. Mm. And so I think that this sort of simplistic approach to sex and marriage is something we need to take another look at and for both the husband and wife. And to really even look like a, at a passage in First Corinthians 7, which is often used to give that kind of teaching and to say, actually, what Paul is saying is that the sexual relationship is a call for both the husband and wife to minister to one another. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and men need to be encouraged. If your wife has pain during sex, if she has trauma in her past, if she's not enjoying it, the burden in some ways is also on you to say, how do I minister to my wife emotionally and physically? How do I understand the complexity of how she's created sexually? How do I go on the healing journey with her? And not just say, no, I get my needs met regardless. And so I really think that there needs to be a paradigm shift where a couple says, God created us for healthy sexuality, and we are going to pursue intimacy, not just check the box of activity. And I think that was something that really helped me as a wife and helped Mm -hmm. us in marriage. And I think it's something that's been a challenge for a lot of couples. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Julie, I think it's so important to provide some of those practical handles for people. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of women and some men that are going, wow, okay, we have not related to each other in a biblical, healthy way. So let's encourage couples to uh, go on offense and do this better. Uh, What are those practical ideas that people can apply? What's the playbook? Yeah. So first of all, it's really asking the question, how am I using my power in marriage? If you're a wife, how am I using my power to uh, help my husband feel respected? How am I using my power in terms of what I have to offer? That Let me ask you this in that regard, because it's so important getting to what's real. Yeah. And sometimes we can obscure that. Even when we're asking ourselves that question, Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. don't see it because we're blinded by it. So how does a person really objectively see how am I manipulating the marriage and really be able to see the answer? Well, you could ask your spouse. (laughs) That's one way to do it. Yeah. And I've asked my husband this when I wrote the first version of this book 20 years ago, I went through my three areas of power and I asked him how I was doing. And he didn't give me as good of a report card as I hoped he would. Yeah. Uh, You know, he helped me understand and see. It was hard to hear, but how I could be manipulative. And he started, he would call them my Jedi mind tricks. He'd be like, no. (laughs) One time he actually said to me, I was talking to him about something. He goes, wait a minute, just a second. And he he raised his hands up like an automatic window going up. He goes, okay, manipulator shields are activated. Go ahead. (laughs) So he had like a fun way of reminding me and showing me that, hey, be careful. Like I'm, I'm feeling manipulated. And both husband and wife need to have a teachable heart. You know, I think we can get so defensive and feeling like 
I have to be the best wife or the best husband that we can't hear where we're missing the mark. But really just having that sensitive spirit towards the Lord and towards one another of, I want to do better because I want to be the best husband and wife I can be for you. Well, and you use playing offense. I used it in the question, but you say playing offense is really important as a couple. And describe what that looks like, that idea that you know, we have, especially with physical intimacy, what is playing offense? Yeah. So playing offense is, you know, I use that in reference to physical intimacy because I think a lot of times all we do in marriage is think about the defense. Like how do we check the box? How do we make sure nobody's using porn? How do we affair proof our marriage? And there certainly is a time and a place where we need to have conversation about keeping on defense and having our guard up. But if all you ever play is defense, you never win. You never gain you ground. Score a lot of you points. don't. And you know we have a God who plays offense all the time. I like that. He yeah. takes ground back. And so playing offense is asking questions like, how can intimacy in our marriage be greater a year from now than it is today? How can we share more of ourselves? How can we learn to look forward to being together physically? What would be fun? Uh, even how do we? How do we get set free from some of the things that are keeping us from enjoying this? Yeah. One of those difficulties that I've learned is, uh, you know, especially for that woman who grew up in the church, it was no, 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 Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Right. And especially for the woman that abided in that, okay, no, Mm -hmm. almost to brutality, you know, and then she gets married and then she's saying, how do I flip this switch? Yeah, it's hard for a lot of women. I think some of the mes- subtle messaging in the church has been more that women were supposed to be the sexual gatekeepers. Like it was assumed that men would have sexual desire and that that was going to be a difficult thing for them to steward. But women were almost told not to be sexual. Right. And so they don't know how to awaken those desires. They don't know how to receive those desires as something that is God-given and good. And for a lot of women, they need to actually go back to the scripture and look at the Song of Solomon and retrain their understanding of biblical sexuality so that not only they can say yes to their husband, but they can first even just say yes to the desire God has put within them. That is really good. That's a great observation. 15 years into your marriage, you and Mike, you know, you had this revelation of giving it over to God. And, Mm -hmm. you know, some women right now are saying, whew, yeah, I did that at year seven. Other women are saying, you know, I've been married 30 years. I haven't done that yet. Describe that experience and how God gave you peace Mm. about giving up control and giving up manipulation to the best of your ability. I'm sure there still is a little bit of that because we're human. Yeah, it helps to write a book on it because you have accountability now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, but I, I, it wasn't just giving up control of my marriage. I think it was like a shift in my whole relationship with God. Women know how to work hard, and they know how to work hard in marriage. Like, what percentage of the marriage books do you think are purchased by women? Yeah, probably 80, 90 yeah, percent. Like, we're yeah. always working on our marriage, but we sometimes work the wrong way, mm. and that's the way I was working uh, I read in a devotional recently that talked about the difference between focusing on the fruit versus focusing on the root and how as modern Christians, we want the fruit of a good marriage. We want our husband to love us well. We want him to help with the kids. We want, we want to be good wives that encourage him. That's fruit. The root is what is God doing in my heart? 
And do I really trust that God is good? And I think I hit that wall probably about 15 years in my marriage where I realized that a lot of what I was doing was rooted in pride, thinking I knew better than my husband. It was rooted in fear of what would happen if he made the wrong decision with this or that. And really getting to the point where I was investing in the, in the roots of what does it look like to just want to honor the Lord. And what we see in Scripture is that when the roots are healthy, then the fruit starts to come out healthy. And it's been a joy over the last, say, 10 years or so just to see the fruit that comes from, like Psalm 1 says, it is being rooted in the Word of God, being rooted in the Spirit of God, and just letting God take care of the fruit in His own timing. Julie, there are wives listening right now who are doing all the right things, the things that you've talked about. They have given up that mega control. They've been praying for their husbands, encouraging them, but they're still not seeing fruit. It may have been months. It might be years. Um, how would you encourage that woman, that wife, to keep going even when uh, it's not happening? Yeah. I would say, first of all, fruit isn't always just in your marriage. The fruit isn't that you're going to change your husband. The fruit may be very silent for a while. People are watching you. Huh. Your children are watching you. Yeah. And people around you are watching the witness of a woman who's faithful through difficult circumstances, a yeah. woman who is seeking wisdom and seeking wise counsel when she doesn't know what to do. And so don't underestimate the fruit. Ultimately, God sees you. You know, I'm not going to stand before God with my husband. I'm going to stand before him alone, and I'm going to give account for how I stewarded everything that he's blessed me with. I'm going to give account for how I've stewarded my role as a wife and a mom. And God sees the choices you're making to honor him. Mm. Uh, and I'd also say, do still seek counsel. Like, if your marriage isn't nurturing to you, you need relationships that are nurturing. You need uh, friendships and you need wise counselors to let you know where you draw boundaries so that you're not continually wounded in your marriage. Um, so there is an element of making sure that you have people around you that are helping you navigate that difficult situation. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, Julie, man, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being here, number one. Uh, seeing you brings us great joy again. And just seeing you know, how the Lord is blessing your ministry to women and, uh, and men, uh, it's really good to see how God's Thank using you. you. Thank you for uh, rewriting the book, which really helped many, many people. And let me turn to our listeners. Um, you know, this resource is really important. Uh, it's an important book to get to have to give to friends. If you're in a good place, I would g keep your eye open with those couples in the church that you know that you, you know, the Lord's letting you know they're hurting. Uh, this would be that kind of book that would make a big difference in their marriage. Julie mentioned this earlier, but focus is here. It is a heap and a storehouse of resources to help you in your marriage. That's our goal. Plus, we have counselors who can talk with you. They'll probably have to call you back, but you can call and ask to talk to a counselor, and they can give you some perspective, that perspective that Julie's referring to. It's free. We're doing this to help you in the name of Christ, and the supporters 
supply that ability for us to do that. I'm grateful to each and every one. So get in touch with us. We've been doing this 44 years, over 44 years. Um, You're not going to shock us. Yeah, and uh, you can call to schedule a free consultation with one of our counselors. Uh, You can also donate when you get in touch. And then be sure to get a copy of Julie's book, Finding the Hero in Your Husband, Revisited, Embracing Your Power in Marriage. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Julie, thanks again for being with us. Always my pleasure. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.